is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Thank you, Matt and Lou, very much for your warm welcome. I shall attempt to live up to your expectations. Good morning, everybody. My name's John. I'm part of the leadership team here in Derby and Burton. And welcome to my kitchen. Um, I'm hoping to cook up a storm for you today. It's very difficult to know on Zoom who's really still alive and with me. So I'm only looking at Matt and Lou, Dave and Jill, and the Harden family. So you need to be, yeah, thank you so much. So it's it's that for carry on, it's that for get off quick, or it's that for, that's the end of you, okay? Got that? Okay, so um, I just want to give a quick thanks, if I could, for everybody else that's made today possible. There's lots of people working behind the scenes who join at half past nine to sound check, etc. There's lots of people who put a lot of preparation in. And my lovely wife, Julie, is in the other room, currently doing the online church bit with Elliot. So thank you to Julie and to Elliot. And there is a lady on there from Hong Kong who's currently in isolation in Derby in a bed and breakfast who would love to come and join the church when she comes out of isolation. So God is very good. God is so good. Even at this time in lockdown, he's still bringing people to church. So wonderful. So this morning, I want to introduce you to one of the amazing action men of the Bible. And I want to involve especially the young people this morning. So if you're young at heart or you're a young person, I want to involve you. Come on, the young people. Okay, so my wife, Julie, has made a couple of models for you to look at in a minute. And later on, I'm going to be offering some prizes, okay? So I'm going to introduce us this morning to a mini-series that we're going to be doing as churches over the next six weeks on the book of Nehemiah. And it's all about Nehemiah inspiring a team to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so we've got some great speakers in the next six weeks. We've got Graham, who's back in the fold. Big, big, big browser of applause for Graham. He's back in the fold and raring to be unleashed on the church again. We've got the lovely Paul Edgington, the cuddly Paul, the wise man of the church. He's bringing the week. We've got Tim. Tim, who's full of exuberance, the action man of the church. He's bringing one. And then we've got the lovely Lucy, who's bringing a word on community. And I can't think of a better word, person to speak on community than Lucy Bradley. So I'm so looking forward to these people speaking on the book of Nehemiah. To go along with this, and my grateful thanks to Dave Perry and to my wife, Julie, we are going to be sending you a Bible study series on the book of Nehemiah, which is entitled, Let's Arise and Build. And you might think, well, that's a very strange title in lockdown. But actually, God's church is always on the move. God is on the move. And so actually, we want to look at this in the light of what God is saying to us at the moment in church life. So I'm going to be sending this out to the life group leaders this afternoon. You can either use it over the next six weeks or not. But it's actually application questions. It's just getting right into the heart of what God's saying to us at this time in church life. So we were talking about let's arise and build, and I was thinking of some puns, you know, P-U-N-S, not buns, puns about constructing a wall. 
So today, I would like to lay some foundations. Today, I'd like to build one another up. And today, I want to cement our relationships. Now, I can't hear anybody groaning. And I realize there will be people out there groaning at this minute in time. But I can't hear you, so I'm just going to carry on. But here's the thing. If you're part of Ignite, Rooted, Frog Club or Blast, I want you to send me your cheesiest one-liner about building, and I will send you by return post a prize. Now, you can look up the email address on Church Week, get mums and dads, get onto Church Week, find out my email address and send it to me. So that's the first prize, the cheesiest one-liner from Ignite, Rooted, Frog Club or Blast. But there's a second prize coming up later. So keep your eyes peeled for this one. So let's get into this, otherwise I'm going to get the sack. So what I want to do this morning is I want to set the historical scene for the book of Nehemiah. And I want you to come with me back some two and a half thousand years, which is a thousand years after the time of Moses and about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And it's so important when we look at the Bible that we look at the context that the verses we're looking at are set in. Because actually, if you came into the book of Nehemiah in the cold light of days, you wouldn't know what motivated this man to do and to say what he did. So it's good to know what the nation of Israel was doing at this time. So let me explain it. So the Jewish nation had been destroyed and scattered right across the lands. You had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern Jewish kingdom of Judah. And the city of Jerusalem was completely destroyed and conquered by the Babylonians. And the once glorious temple of Solomon had been destroyed. And when the Babylonians actually conquered Jerusalem, they pretty much deported everyone from the city and the region. And that lasted for over 70 years. And when they were deported to Babylon, the Jewish people began to make homes for themselves there. And they settled down and they got very comfortable in their new surroundings. And I want to come back to that later because that's important to understand. Getting comfortable in the land sometimes isn't the best thing for you to happen to us. But many still followed the God of their fathers, but they did it from Babylon. And they had no desire to return to the land of that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But after 70 years in captivity in Babylon, they were given the opportunity to return to the promised land. And out of some two or three million, only about 50,000 decided to return. That's about 2% of the Jewish nation actually came back to the promised land. But they did return, those 50,000. And in the days of Ezra, they rebuilt the temple, the second temple, which wasn't as glorious as the first, but they rebuilt the temple and they laid a spiritual foundation for Israel once again. And the book of Nehemiah, which we're going to be looking at in a second, comes 15 years after the book of Ezra, which is the preceding book of the Bible, and almost 100 years after the first captives came back to the promised land and some 150 years after the city of Jerusalem was actually destroyed. And after this long time, 
the walls of the city of Jerusalem were still in rubble. And before this, the citizens of Jerusalem had tried to rebuild those walls, but had failed. And in Ezra 4, verses 6 to 23, we see that some 75 years before that, they tried to rebuild the walls, but they were stopped by their enemies. And we'll see how Nehemiah deals with that later on in the chapter. So the walls lay in rubble and the people stayed in trouble. So I want to show you the first model that my wife Julie has made today. So here we are. This is my wife Julie's interpretation of the finished wall of Jerusalem. This is what it was like before it was broken down. Now, I've got to say, there's a lot of poetic license being used in this because this guy here, if you can see him, looks very much to me like a pirate. And I don't think there was many pirates at that time on the land. This guy up here looks a bit like one of the three musketeers. And again, I don't think there was many musketeers. But as I was looking around this finished article, and I'm not complaining, I'm not judging Julie at all. It's a very good model. But I found this person inside. This guy here. So I said to Julie, who's this? She said to me, that's an ice cream seller. And I said, they don't have ice creams in the desert. She said, yes, they do. And I said, well, who does he work for? She said, Walls of Jerusalem. Ah, get it? Walls of Jerusalem. Oh, love it. Get on. Get out of here with that one. So that's that, the first one, okay? The second one, and you can all say, ah, to this one, because this is the broken down walls. But even this one, we've got a monkey on here. I mean, honestly, how many monkeys were in Jerusalem at this time? But that's the broken down walls, okay? So we've got the finished walls, we've got the broken down walls. So here's the second prize. The second prize is frog. Rooted, blast, ignite. I want you to send me your best model of the finished wall of Jerusalem. Again, I'm going to be sending out the most amazing prize to the winner, and Julie's going to be judging it. So pay attention, get your models in by the end of this half term. Great time for half term. Kids, dads, get your jigsaws out, get your saws out, make it happen, okay? Okay, so if you're looking into this church for the first time today, you don't have to be bad to join us, but it surely will help you. Right, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read, and then we're going to get on with what we've been called to do. Father, we thank you for your glorious church, Lord. I, Father, I thank you for uh, uh, allowing us to be co-heirs with you, Lord Jesus, this morning. And we pray, Father, that as we look through your anointed words, Lord God, in your Bible, that, Father, you will cause them to come alive in our lives, Lord. And Father, you will change us through what we see and hear today. In your name we ask. Amen. So if you want a title for today, I'm going to call it Draw Near to God. And I'm going to be reading from the NASB version of Nehemiah 1, verses 1 to 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them about the Jews who had escaped, 
and survive the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnants there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and disgrace. And the walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned four days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, please, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps the covenant and faithfulness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I'm praying before you now, <clears throat> day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we've committed against you. <clears throat> I am my father's house of sins. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances of which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, please, the words which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments, your servant Moses, saying, sorry, and do them, those who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I've chosen to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great power and by your strong hands. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and the prayer of your servants who delight and revere your name. And please make your servant successful today and grant him mercy before this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. <clears throat> So here's this man, Nehemiah. He lived in Susa, the capital city of the Persians, and they used to move the capital city around two or three times a year, depending on the, the temperature and the heat of that time of year. So they were in their autumn palace at the moment. And he lived there with the palace in the palace of the king, and he was a cupbearer. And it says in the verse, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So we find straight away that Nehemiah's body, physical body, was in Persia, but his heart and his interests were in Jerusalem, which was some 800 miles away. It's as far as John O'Groats is from Land's End. And we might think that an important man like Nehemiah, born into captivity, had more important things to think about than a distant city that he'd never been to, and a people he had mostly never met. Yet because his heart was for the things of God, his heart was not on himself, but on others. And Nehemiah had the heart that we find in Psalm 137, verses 5 to 6. And it says, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. And so if Jerusalem was special to God, then it was obviously going to be very special to Nehemiah. 
we find that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and its gates were burned with fire. And the news was not encouraging and the people were called survivors. They were in great distress and reproach. And the desperate state of the people and the condition of the city walls were intimately connected. In the ancient world, a city without walls was a city completely open and vulnerable to its enemies. There were no gatekeepers, there were no watchmen, there was no physical wall. And if there was anything of value in an unwalled city, it could be easily stolen because there was no obvious defense to stop it. So no wonder the people lived in constant distress, in constant disgrace and reproach, living only as survivors. But God has more for us than to be mere survivors. God not only wants us to be conquerors, but more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8, 37. And we get to verse 4 and Nehemiah's reaction to the news about Jerusalem and its people. And it says, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The whole outcome and rationale of this book of Nehemiah is centered around this verse. Why? I, as I read through that, I kept asking myself, why would this man mourn and fast and weep and pray for many days? And in fact, he did that for four months. Why? Why this man? You see, he was born into captivity anyway. He had a very comfortable life. He had status. He was the cupbearer to the king. He ran the king's court for him. He was later to be a governor of Judah. And he'd never been to Jerusalem anyway. So why care at all? Well, here's my conclusion. You may come up with others, but my conclusion is, and I hope it's borne out through the events over the next few weeks, something burnt in this man's heart for more things of God. And I wonder, does it burn in your heart to have more things of God? You see, this man had a passion for his people, the people of God. He wanted them to be restored and returned to the city of Jerusalem, the holy place, the place ordained by God. And this man had a passion to see the presence of God restored in the land. It drove him. It kept him awake. It kept him praying and mourning and fasting. You see, this holy city and especially the temple was the epicenter of the Jewish nation. It was here that the Holy Scriptures were kept and read. It was here that the people would gather in the temple courts. It was here that praise and worship would go up to God. And it was here in the Holy of Holies that the presence of God dwelt. But it was also here that the people of God were under the law and under the old covenants or agreements made between God and the ancient Israelites. There were lots of do's and don'ts. 
And as I was reading up on the makeup of the temple, I started to get sidetracked. So forgive me for a second for going completely off script, but I was looking at what the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place looked like. And I was just so caught up with the old covenants versus what we have now freely come into. And there was, if you remember, the veil or the curtain described that stopped the holy place from the Holy of Holies. And if you remember in historic terms, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the tent of meeting place, and then it was taken to the Solomon's Temple. And only once a year could the high priest go into the Holy of Holies on our behalf, on the behalf of the Jewish nation. And yet when our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and was resurrected on our part, that curtain or that veil, 60 foot high, higher than your house, four foot thick, was ripped, torn from top to bottom, that we, God's people, could have free access into his presence. Just dwell on that for a second. The grace of God, it's unbelievable. And if you're looking in today, if you're wondering what church is all about, if you're wondering about this Jesus, he is the most amazing, amazing man that walked this earth, was a servant king that was crucified horrifically on your and our behalf, that died and rose again on the third day and calls us to have a relationship with him that our sins might be wiped out and forgiven. If you were looking in, if you're a friend of someone, ask them about this amazing man, Jesus. There's a most amazing line in a, in a hymn. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his, his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. He's opened the life gate for us and calls us to freely come into his presence today. So Nehemiah, he sat down and he wept and his immediate reaction was extreme. He didn't just feel bad for Jerusalem and its people. Right away, there was no strength left in his legs and he sat down and he began to weep and he began to mourn over what he'd seen and heard. And he mourned for many days. And God was going to use Nehemiah to do something about this situation. But first, God did something in Nehemiah. Any great work of God begins with God doing a great work in somebody. But there was no way that Nehemiah could do this alone. He had to be a leader, one who influences other people to get a job done. And this book of Nehemiah, many of you will know it, it's a great book about leadership. And since leadership is influence, leadership applies to everyone. Everyone has an area of leadership in some way. Each one of us is a leader. And if you look through the book of Nehemiah and spend time in it, you will see so many attributes and characteristics of a really good leader. Integrity, authenticity, 
humility, compassion, vision, focus, generosity. All these are to be found in this book and many others of the great biblical heroes that we've grown to know and love. And Ken Blanchard, a author who wrote The One Minute Manager, who's now sold over 13 million copies, wrote a book called Lead Like Jesus. And he freely admits that he looked at Jesus's leadership characteristics when writing that book and became a Christian himself. So leaders must prepare themselves for difficult work because it won't be easy. There is no winning without warfare. There is no opportunity without opposition. There is no victory without vigilance. For whatever the people of God say, let us arise and build. Satan says, let me arise and oppose. Leaders must have a big vision. And Nehemiah had one. Through me, God is going to correct a problem that's been around for 150 years. Through me, God is going to do something that completely failed before. We must have a vision, a goal that is big enough. And Nehemiah goes on to say, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah's reaction went beyond immediate emotion. Many times a concern will come over us in a flash and then quickly pass. But if it is from the Lord, it will abide and grow. And the burden will remain until the problem that prompted that burden is solved. We should note as well what Nehemiah did not do. He did not complain. He did not whine or see who else could fix this problem. He immediately did what he knew he could do, pray and intensely seek God in the situation. So Nehemiah's prayer in verses five to seven, he prays to God with humility. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, though great and awesome God, he gets the perspective of God right, right at the start of that. You who are, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you might hear the prayer of your servants, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. I pray. Prayer is essential to leadership. If your vision is so big that only God can accomplish it, then you obviously must pray. If prayer isn't absolutely necessary to accomplish your vision, then can I suggest that your goal is not big enough? And it appears from what we can read in Nehemiah that he prayed for four months before he did anything. Later, when the rebuilding of the walls actually begins, it only takes 52 days to finish the entire job. But that 52-day project 
had a four-month foundation of prayer. Twice as many days of prayer versus action. And that surely must speak to us as churches today. Surely prayer must be in the centre and always should be in the centre of everything we do. You see, Nehemiah took his pain and his stress to God in prayer. Prayer will give you strength when you wait on the Lord in prayer. He will renew your strength. Isaiah 40, verse 31. And he says, I pray, Lord God of heaven, humility begins by simply understanding there is a God enthroned in the heavens and I am not him. Nehemiah recognises exactly who God is, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keep your covenant and mercy with those you love. Wow, how blessed are we? Sometimes we take it for granted. We are so blessed to have a great and awesome God that we can come to any time of the day or night. He inclines his ear to us. He is a lamp unto our feet. He goes on, please let your ear be attentive. Humility also understands our complete dependence on God. When Nehemiah desperately asked God to hear the prayer of your servants, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, It reflected his complete dependence on the Lord. Only God could help. And if God would only hear, Nehemiah knew he would help. God will sometimes allow you to be fruitless to expose your need for total dependence on him. Let me say that again. God will sometimes allow you to be fruitless to expose your need for total dependence on him. He goes on to say, confess the sins. We have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. Again, we get this wonderful humility. Humility will also confess sin openly. Nehemiah plainly and simply confessed sin without any attempt at excusing sin. We must always avoid excusing ourselves in the confession of our sin. May we never say, Lord, if I sinned, or Lord, I'm sorry, but you know how hard it was. We can find great freedom in open, honest confession without any attempt at excuse or wondering if I sinned or not. You never lighten the load unless first you have felt the pressure in your own soul. You are never used of God to bring blessing until God has opened your eyes and made you see things as they really are. Let's go on to verses 8 to 10. Nehemiah comes to God looking at God's promises. Remember, I pray the word you have commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you are cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, 
Yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hands. Remember, great start to that line. Remember, this is a powerful way to come to God, asking him to remember his promises. Nehemiah said, Lord, you made a promise to Moses and this nation. I ask you now to make good on it. Nehemiah quoted from both Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30. There is no doubt, this no doubt is one of the secrets to great power in prayer, to remember the promises of God. I'm sitting here looking at Dave and Jill on the screen in front of me. And there's two wonderful prayer warriors that always remember the promises of God when they lead us in prayer so well. In Psalm 8110, God says to his people, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God will not open his storehouse until we open our mouths in asking him to perform his promises. Nehemiah goes on, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Nehemiah quoted a conditional promise. The condition was returning to God and keeping his commandments. He really couldn't know if the nation was keeping the commandments, but he knew that he was keeping them. And because he had identified himself with the nation in their sin, the nation could also identify itself with Nehemiah in his godly fulfillment of these conditions. Verse 11, Nehemiah prays with a heart ready to do something. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Granting mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah concluded by asking God to bless him when he would soon speak to the king of Persia about this matter. And I'm sure Graham's going to pick that up next week. Nehemiah was going to do something about the sorry state of Jerusalem's walls and their people. And he knows without God's intervention, he can do nothing of any merit. Let your servants prosper this day. This is a prayer of a man of action, not some sideline critic. Nehemiah does not pray, God, make it all better, or God, get someone else moving on this problem. Instead, his prayer is, God, use me to make it better. Recognition of our need must be followed by earnest, persistent waiting upon God in prayer. In considering his options, he did not begin to speak with other people about what they would do, nor did he draw up some wonderful scheme about what might be done with so many people that joined in the enterprise. But it occurred to him that he would do something himself. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. 
Father, I pray today that you might burn into our hearts, Lord God, a passion for your kingdom, Lord God, a passion for your presence and a passion for your people, Lord God. We thank you for men such as Nehemiah. We thank you for your written word, Lord God, which inspires us and brings light into the darkness, Lord God, which opens up possibilities, Lord God, which shines a light on your wonderful grace in our lives. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing, Lord God, and we don't take any of it for granted. It is surely by your grace, Lord God, that we're here at all. And we just want to bless your name this morning. Amen. So just before I hand back to Matt and Lou, please don't forget, I want the cheesiest one-liners, and I want some models made in half term. And then by the end of this week, I will send prizes out to those winners. Thank you, Matt and Lou. Back to you. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk.